morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Didn't it rain, children? Don't know what it was like on this side of the county, but it, we had all we needed in uh, in Scottsburg last night. A lot, of, a lot of thunder. A lot of thunder, a lot of rain. A lot of wind. Yeah, a lot of wind. Right. And we, and we didn't, even, didn't even have the preacher on. I opened the door last night at one point to let a little bit out. Mm -hmm. Wind grabbed the door and jerked it out of my hands. <laughs> it'll do it. It'll do it. Oh. Well, praise the Lord anyway. Amen. Mm -hmm. God's good. All the time. All the time. God is good. God certainly is. Uh, not a whole lot. Well, there are some announcements this morning, too. Uh, men's fellowship meeting will uh, be at Austin next Monday night, starting at 730. We're not gonna, they're not going to have a meal there, just uh, just the program. And uh, it's a good way to get things started again for the... Right, and all that, right. Going to be a one-man horse and pony show. But, uh, no, it, uh, it's a great experience to get together with other men in the uh, in the brotherhood and, and to, uh, to fellowship with them. Amen. Our monthly business meeting will be tomorrow evening starting at 6 o'clock in the fellowship hall. Uh, hope we have a little better attendance than we did last time. We, uh, we had a pretty good... Uh, discussion group all six of us so uh, we do have a few things to think about and talk about so if you can make it tomorrow evening at six we'd, we'd be glad to have you uh, six man quartet meets after church we have a couple of songs we'll be working on one for uh, candlelight communion Monday Thursday service and one for Easter morning if we can do that. We have a letter uh, from Herman. It said, Dear Friends in Christ at Lexington Christian, thank you very much for your encouraging support and the sacrifice and love behind it. Thank you for your prayers also. The enemy has been using the pandemic to slow down the pursuit of souls, but due to the prayers of his people, more hunger for God has been generated in our hearts. We also hunger for more souls. In a few short days, I will leave for Southeast Asia, and your prayers, encouragement, and help means so much. Please pray so that I can witness to precious souls along the way, right from the beginning, flying out of Louisville on March the 1st, to the flight across the ocean on March 7, and then when out of quarantine, many inter-island flights, then the flight back, home, back across the ocean June 1st, stepping onto U.S. soil. Thank you, and God bless. Herman. So, some uh, extra special prayers yes. for our brother. Are there any birthdays this week? No birthdays. Anniversaries? No anniversaries. Who? Over where? Well, you still having birthdays? Well, congratulations. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday God. 
Okay, now anniversaries. No. Hmm. <laughs> now that's that's dedication. We have come into his house and gathered in his name to worship him. Let's stand and sing number 36. Take time to be holy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mitch, will you lead us in prayer, please? I will. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege we have to be gathered together here in your house today. Lord, thank you for all the many, many blessings that you have bestowed upon us, that you are bestowing upon us right now, and the ones that are yet to come through this service and through all this week, because, Lord, you always are with us. You always bless us. And as long as we walk in tune with you, obeying what your word tells us to do, we will continue to walk in blessings. Lord, thank you for the good news that Sister Kathy's coming home tomorrow. Continue to bless and completely heal her, Lord. Yes. Lord, uh, we pray that those who couldn't be here this morning for whatever reason, that you will bless them, that you will strengthen them, and Lord, help them to grow so that they'll be able to be here again next week. And Lord, we pray that you will have your way in every heart, in every mind this morning. Woo us and win us. Draw us in closer to you, Lord. And help us to know you more completely that we may serve you in a way that pleases you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass amongst us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Our communion hymn this morning is number uh, 253, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
communion meditation will be presented this morning by Brother Jim Rominger. The meditation I chose this morning was, uh, if I can find it, communion requires community. You know, it, uh, I mentioned uh, in the first part of this that uh, maybe pick something in your own life that uh, you ended up you were you were thankful for. And I mean, I, I've I've uh, I got so many things in my life that I'm thankful for. It's hard to hard to pick. But I suppose uh, both my wife's and uh, my my uh, thing we are so thankful for is meeting new friends while we were uh, camping. And normally food was involved and and also fellowship and uh, I'm going to ask each one of you to kind of do something special this morning it says while everyone here would have a different experience to relate I feel fairly confident each situation would have one aspect in common. At least one other person was there to share the experience. While we can have significant and enjoyable times alone, it seems natural to cherish the experiences we can share with others. Sometimes when we think about the Last Supper, we can become so focused on Jesus that we forget that the other disciples were also there. Jesus himself told them how important they were. In Luke chapter 22:15, he tells his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There's an old saying that goes something like this. Shared experiences double the joy, but cut the pain in half. Take a moment to look around. We're about to share the Lord's Supper supper together. We even call it communion. But you can't commune by yourself. By definition, communion requires someone with whom to share the experience. A moment ago, I asked you to look around, look around again. Focus on certain special people. Perhaps it's a spouse sitting beside you to whom you have committed your love and devotion and with whom you have shared so much joy. And yes, 
a certain amount of sorrow too. Maybe it's a close friend, a golfing buddy, or someone who has watched the Super Bowl with you. Perhaps it's a loving woman who taught your children about God when they were just babies. You see, communion requires community. We can't share with people we don't know. Family should not be something we just call ourselves. It should be a word that truly describes what we mean to each other. Jesus knew what was coming, and he wanted to share a special meal with those disciples who, despite their faults and limitations, had come to mean so much to him. Now, we too are going to participate in the Lord's Supper. Yes, we commune with God, but we also share it together. Amen. Just as we have shared many of the important aspects of our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just as Jesus yearned to have communion with his disciples, we also yearn to commune with our fellow brothers and sisters. Jesus set the example for us to follow. We thank you that when we meet, we can remember you and honor you with our communion. Amen. Let's take a few moments to uh, to come in union with one another and with Jesus. As Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room to celebrate the Passover, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and passed it among them, saying, This is my body broken for you. Eat ye of it. And in like manner, the cup, after they had eaten, Jesus took it and, giving thanks, passed it among them, saying, This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for the remission of sins. As often as you come together, do this in remembrance of me until I come again. Eat ye of it. Drink of it, all of you.
Please stand for the doxology. to number 510. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. seated. I'd like to call Brother Wayne Morris up here. He has a special for us. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this is um, typically is an Easter time song. We're getting pretty close to Easter. 
But it's 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 Easter every Sunday. Amen. We we have the, we have the resurrection every Sunday. So and I just I like this song, and I hope you all do too. And listen listen to the words. to die 
Salvation's wondrous plan was done. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Wow. Thank you, Brother Wayne. That was beautiful. It's a long time since I heard that. And I don't know if the rest of you heard it or not, but I heard those 10,000 angels singing right along with him. Good morning. morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? I'll tell you what, after, after being down with COVID for three weeks... I'm really glad to be in the house of the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, that, uh, the worst part of the whole thing was not being able to see nobody. I didn't feel that bad. I was just tired and, you know, just kind of run down. But the idea of not seeing nobody, that's, that's bad. <laughs> uh, grateful to be here. All right, well, uh, as we continue on our study in uh, the book of Mark this morning, uh, you know, I realize we missed uh, uh, three weeks of, of messages here, but, you know, uh, that's all right. Uh, Jesus had called Levi's and his first disciples he had driven out an impure spirit, and then he healed many. And uh, so, uh, you know, he, he, he had uh, prayed in a solitary place, and he healed a man with leprosy, which, you know, you're not supposed to touch. They're unclean. Which, every time somebody comes close to my house, I thought I should cry, Unclean! <laughs> Uh, but this morning we pick up in chapter two as, uh, Jesus forgives a paralyzed man. And, uh, so it goes from, uh, verse one to verse 12, a few days later after these other things, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, so he had left and come back, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening or dug an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, What does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that, 
that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Aha. Uh-huh. So what's going on here? What gives? I mean, he's been doing all these miracles already, but they say at the end, I've not seen anything like this. Well, he's in a different place, but still, they knew of the things that he had done. But Jesus, you know, he comes back to his home, uh, and it says that there were so many people gathered that there was no more room. You know, I have had a vision of this place where it was so packed there was no more room. People standing out there in the hallway. I don't know when that's going to happen, but it is going to happen. But that's the same kind of situation, only it's a lot smaller place. The, the homes in, in, in Jerusalem in those days were one or two rooms, mostly. Some of them were a little bigger, uh, but that was the common person had a, a one room, uh, they had two rooms, but one was a room that they lived in and the other room was for their animals usually. Uh, they kept them in there at night and uh, then took them out during the day. But if guests came, they would put them in there with the animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, this is not a, a huge room, but still it was a big crowd. I mean, even in one room, you can pack a lot of people in. Uh, you know, I've been to some gatherings before for funeral services or whatever where it was a small space, and there was a lot of people in and out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you packed like sardines, and when the crowd moves, you move because you don't have an option. <laughs> and this was the kind of situation Jesus was in, and so it says that they came because they'd heard that he'd come home. And so he began to preach to them the word. You know, there is a lesson in that for us. When we have an opportunity to be around a lot of people, we should use that opportunity to witness for Jesus. We don't have to, you know, go overboard, don't have to be anything major, but we can mention Christ and, and, and we can mention his love, his mercy. Sometimes you can just say, praise the Lord. And some people get excited and other people get angry, but, you know, <laughs> uh, when I go through a, a, a drive-thru at a restaurant, I always like to tell them, you know, uh, Jesus loves you or praise the Lord. You know, thank, thank the Lord for this food. And I get a lot of different responses. Some of them will agree with me, and some of them don't say anything. And others just look at me like I have a third eyeball, you know. But that is a way of witnessing. 
It's no big deal. It's not that difficult. And it plants a seed. If nothing else, it plants a seed. God can use those little things to make big things happen. You only have to have faith the size of a mustard seed to make a whole mountain move. So you don't have to have a whole lot of faith to share your faith with somebody else and it can make a big difference in their lives. But Jesus is sharing the word. Now he would have been sharing from the Old Testament, but what he's saying becomes a part of the New Testament because he is the New Testament. (laughs) It's all about him. The Old Testament was too, by the way. And so while he's preaching, there's these guys who have a friend who's paralyzed and they'd heard that Jesus was able to heal people and they had faith, they believed that he could heal their friend who's paralyzed. I mean, you think about this now. You have a friend back in those days that's paralyzed. There is no welfare system. There's no social security. There's no, you know, you just had to sit and beg and somebody had to carry you to set you at a place where you could beg. So these guys probably carried this guy every day and set him someplace to beg and then went and got him in the evening and carried him home and probably went and got his uh, supplies for him from the money that he had gathered from alms for that day. And, you know, it's heartbreaking enough when we have a friend who is healthy and, and, and all of a sudden something happens and they're not able to care for themselves anymore. I mean, that's heartbreaking. We go, if they're, if they're friends or family, we go through that process with them. You know, we feel a little bit of their anguish also and try to help alleviate that. These friends apparently loved this man and they wanted to see him made whole. They wanted to see him made whole so that he could get back to his life, living and caring for himself and his, his family if he had any, or maybe if he didn't have a family to that point, he would be able to have one now. And so this is a very, uh, this is a very uh, compassionate effort that these four men are making. And I figured since it took four of them, he must have been my size (laughs) or bigger. (laughs) But, you know, they take him to Jesus. That is our goal, isn't it? To bring them to Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's our children, our our parents, our brothers and sisters, uh, our neighbors, our friends, our enemies. It doesn't matter. Our goal should always be to bring them all to Jesus. Why? Because he's the one who can fix their brokenness. He's the one who can save their soul and keep them from having to spend eternity in hell in that horrible place. Now, I know that in this culture today, we're considered horrible people because we don't want to see homosexuals remain as homosexuals. We don't want to see transvestites remain as transvestites. We want to see them converted to living in obedience to what Christ says. And people say, 
Well, God loves them too. Absolutely he does, and so do I. And I love them like Jesus does too much to let them live a life of sin and end up in hell for it. I love them so much that I want to see them changed to a person who obeys and lives according to what Christ says is the way to live in order to go to heaven and to live in paradise for eternity instead of burning in hell. To me, one of the most cruel things that I know of that happens today is a church that affirms and approves of those behaviors. It's like saying, I want you to go to hell, so I'll help you get there. Now, just think about that, folks. Am I wrong? It's cruel. If you know how a person's going to end up, according to what the Word of God says, if you practice and live those ways, you will not enter into the gates of heaven. And so by affirming what they're doing and approving of it, putting a stamp of approval, you're preventing them from ever getting to heaven. That is about the most cruel thing that I think of any person who says they're a Christian can do to another person. These men brought their friend to Jesus because they had a high hope and a high expectation that Jesus would be able to help him. Why or how do we know that they had such high hopes and high Because when they couldn't get in, they climbed up on the roof and they dug a hole in the roof. Now, these roofs were probably made out of boards or maybe even sticks and then had sod. They would go out and dig sod, a layer of sod up, and then they would pack this sod down over the roof. So it wasn't hard to dig through. I hope they patched it when they were done. (laughs) But... You know, you just tear that sod apart and pull the, the, the sticks apart uh, or the boards, whatever's up there. You pull that back. And then they had this man on a, uh, some kind of a, a cot, uh, maybe even just a mat, a rug. And they probably tied some kind of rope to all four corners. And each one of them had a rope and they just lowered him right down in there, right in front of Jesus. Now that tells me these men really had a great desire to see their friend healed. I wonder, are we willing to go to that kind of effort to bring somebody to Jesus? Hmm. Or do we say, I'll pray for you (laughs) and leave it at that? Just think if that's what they had said to this man, he wouldn't have been healed. Brought him to Jesus. And Jesus uses this as part of his message that he's preaching to these people, I'm sure. But the fascinating thing is, is that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Oh, that would have offended all of these Jewish leaders. Oh, they would have been so upset by this. Who do you think you are, God? Yes, that's the whole point. He's showing them I am God in the flesh. 
They themselves knew and said, only God can forgive sins. Well, duh, put two and two together and you might come up with four. Only God can forgive sins. He forgave. Who does that make him? (laughs) The Messiah, the Son of God. But instead, they were upset. They were, this is just mind-boggling to them that anyone would dare to take that approach and speak those words. And so Jesus picks up on what they're thinking. Uh, I'm not sure if that's supernatural or just natural. It could be either way. I prefer to think it was supernatural, but that's just me. (laughs) But he says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? (laughs) He says, but, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, wait a minute. I'm a Son of Man, so can I forgive sins too? No. He said, the Son of Man. (laughs) There's a difference. Daniel referred to the Son of Man over and over, referring to the Christ. So when he claims that he is the Son of Man, he is claiming that he is the Messiah. And we miss that a lot. And in the original language, it's made even more clear. And so the interpretation of words from the original language to English often loses a lot in the translation. But he is saying to them, I am the Christ. I am the Son of Man. And then he turns around and says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. What did he do? He got up, took his mat and went home. Now he couldn't do that before, folks. He couldn't do that now. And so that's why these people are so amazed because he spoke as if he were God. Your sins are forgiven. They've never heard anybody say such a thing. I mean, Jewish people to this day, in my class that I'm studying Hebrew, don't you dare try to interpret the name of God. (laughs) They get upset. I said, Yahweh, one day, no, 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 no. We don't say that name. No, no, no. We don't even know if that's right or not. Don't say that. Okay, what do you want me to say? Adonai means Lord. And another one of their things that they use in the Hebrew Bible almost throughout the whole Old Testament is Hashim. Shim means name. Ha means thee, the name. That's, why they, that's how they refer to God, the name. <laughs> that way they're not offending him by misquoting or misusing his name, Hashim. But here Jesus dared, not only is, is he, you know, he may say the name, but not only that, but he's, he's taking on the responsibility of God. I forgive your sins. Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. But he can. He can. In fact, he's the only one who can 
forgive our sins. And here we're having a little foretaste. Now, there's another question that often comes up when people read this kind of text. Well, the man was paralyzed. He had a sickness. So why did he say, I forgive your sins instead of you're healed? Ah, what do you think? Maybe his disease was caused by some sin. Does that mean all illness is related to some sin? Nope, not at all. But some illnesses are a direct result of sin. If you smoke too much for too long, you often get lung cancer. Uh, So that's a direct result of sin, right? (laughs) Uh, If you drink too much, you often get cirrhosis of the liver. It's a direct result of sin. It's a sin when we abuse it. Okay? Anytime we abuse something, and when it has us instead of us having it, it's a sin. But there's many things that can happen. You know, we don't know. Uh, this man might have been paralyzed from drunk driving his donkey cart too fast and ran off the road and <laughs> got paralyzed. We don't know. <laughs> uh, we're not told that. But the implication here is that his paralyzation was somehow directly linked to sin. So one of the first things we should ask God when we find that we're becoming ill is, Lord, is this related to some sin that I need to repent of and quit? If he doesn't answer or if he answers no, then we need to go to the doctor and get it taken care of. There are a lot of people that are in mental institutions that simply need someone to preach Jesus to them and cast the demons out. That's very sad, but it's also true. Now, let me ask you this. This man was paralyzed. We're not told how long he was paralyzed. We're not, we're not given all that background. But we know he was. And now he gets up and walks. How do you think he feels? How do you think this man feels? He, he couldn't move. He couldn't do anything. Now he gets up. I bet he was dancing. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I mean, come on, folks. He had a reason to. You know what else? You do too, and so do I. Every morning we wake up, we have a reason to glorify God. He gave us another day. Every breath we take, every heartbeat we have, we have a reason to give thanks and praise to Jesus. It's by his will that we are here. And we should thank him. You know, we often forget, I think, who Jesus really is. We forget to see him and his magnificence and his glory. We forget to see him as who he really is, God in the flesh. We forget that he went through all of the pain and agony of our sin and the punishment for our sins. And we forget to give him thanks for doing all of that for us. We forget that we owe him our very lives, 
Our very souls belong to him. He purchased us with his very own blood on the cross, folks. We owe him everything. We should be totally devoted, totally sold out for Jesus. We should be on fire for him instead of just mediocre. You know why we're not? Because we listen and live in the world too much instead of in the spirit. And there's a remedy for that. (laughs) We need to get in the book and we need to get on our knees. And we need to ask God to forgive us for being so fleshly, so worldly, and so doubting, and and so fearful. And we need to ask him to forgive us and to heal us and to revive us as church so that we can be a part of a revival to this world. It's up to you. It's up to me. He's been given us the opportunity to do this, folks. Since he ordained his first disciples, he has ordained every one of us too to go and make disciples. Every time someone is converted, that's a revival, folks. And if you have enough revived going on, it just keeps on exciting everybody else. I mean, think about how excited you get when one of your kids has a new grandbaby for you. It's no different when a new new birth comes into the church. We're excited just like that new birth of that new child or new grandchild. Or we should be anyway. It says heaven throws a party. So we ought to be too. But we also have a responsibility to help those new births come about. How are we doing? If you have a need this morning, just mind the Lord and come as we sing. Brother Bob. Our our invitation hymn this morning is number 370. Pass me not. Oh, gentle Savior. Correction. 369, Jesus, I come.
Have anything else for us, Brother Mitch? Ah, uh, praise the Lord. Amen. We have uh, Bible study tonight, right, Mary? Mm hmm Okay. Maybe seated. He sends us home with prayer. All right. Are you glad that you're a Christian? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, that your word inspires us. Your word teaches us and grows us. Your word shows us just how masterful you are. How powerful you are. But also, even though you are the most powerful being that exists, you are also the most gentle and loving being that exists. So we thank you and we praise you and we ask you to continue to grow us, to help us, to know you more completely so that when we get to heaven, Lord, we won't be surprised. We'll already be living in a way that meets the standards of heaven. And we won't have to study as long to learn as much if we spend our time learning about you now. So, Lord, help us to be students of the word. And help us to be students that humble themselves before you and ask for forgiveness for ourselves for our families, for our churches, for our nation. Lord, you alone, you alone can help this nation to come back to being one nation under God. But we have a responsibility to repent and to live in revival and to ask or revival and cleansing of our nation. So, Lord, help us to do these things in honor of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Blessed be the See you this evening at 5.